Did you know that Bill Gates has a secret gold card that allows him to have unlimited free McDonald's for life? And did you know that McDonald's is the world's largest supplier of toys, or that they open a new restaurant every 14 hours? If you didn't know all that, then please Uber Eats a nice McDonald's McCafe iced latte, and then enjoy hearing and seeing the details of my dividend portfolio, as well as my deep analysis of McDonald's. What's up everybody, Jen ex-dividend investor here. Today in my 15th stock reveal video, I'll be doing a deep analysis of McDonald's, my 14th largest dividend stock by portfolio value of the 25 I own. That means that after this, I only have 10 stocks to go until my full dividend investing portfolio is shown. Stay tuned for details of my dividend portfolio along with screenshots of the dividend checks I just received from Caterpillar after I released my Kimberly Clark video last week. Also, if you are somebody who is loving it, then please show some love to that thumbs up button. And don't forget to attend a live chat with me as I reveal my 10th largest dividend stock by portfolio value, premiering live at 5 on Fridays. Okay, now it's time for another deep analysis. McDonald's, ticker MCD, is an 80-year-old, $23 billion revenue, $145 billion market cap American fast food company. It has 1.9 million employees, making it the world's fourth largest employer if you include their franchisees and are behind Walmart, who has the third most employees in the world, and the People's Liberation Army of China, which is at number two, and finally it is behind the Department of Defense, which is the number one employer in the world at 3.2 million employees. It is the world's largest restaurant chain by revenue, serving over 69 million customers daily in over 100 countries across almost 40,000 restaurants. They sell over 75 burgers every single second of every single day. I've loved McDonald's since I was a kid. I used to walk by it on my way to elementary school, and I have the best memories of going there with my parents for a cheeseburger and a strawberry milkshake. To this day, I still love it, as do our kids. Our little ones now know that we are part owners of the McDonald's Corporation, a company that I'm betting will flourish in all economic cycles. McDonald's operates and franchises their restaurants around the world. About 93% of their restaurants are franchised, which is near management's goal of 95%. I'd wager that management likes to own and operate around 5% of the restaurants so they have a complete understanding of what running a restaurant is like, as well as have hands-on options to test out new innovations. They reorganized recently into three segments. Number one is the United States segment, the company's largest market. Number two are international operated markets, or IOMs, comprised of wholly owned markets or countries in which the company operates restaurants including Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Russia, Spain, and the UK. And number three are international developmental license markets, IDLs, comprised primarily of developmental licensee and affiliate markets in the McDonald's system. Corporate activities are reported within that segment. I found some useful information I wanted to share from a recent 10K. It's said that usually McDonald's owns the land and building and then the franchisee pays for equipment, signs, seating, and decor. So given that they have almost 40,000 locations, you can think of McDonald's as a real estate investment, not just a restaurant play. Management believes that ownership of real estate, combined with the co-investment by franchisees, enables them to achieve restaurant performance levels that are amongst the highest in the industry. Franchisees are also responsible for reinvesting capital in their businesses over time. In addition, to accelerate implementation of certain initiatives, the company frequently co-invests with franchisees to fund improvements to their restaurants or their operating systems. These investments, developed in collaboration with franchisees, are designed to cater to consumer preferences 
improve local business performance, and increase the value of their brand through the development of modernized, more attractive, and higher revenue-generating restaurants. The company's typical franchise term is 20 years. McDonald's requires franchisees to meet rigorous standards and generally does not work with passive investors. The business relationship with franchisees is designed to facilitate consistency and high quality at all McDonald's restaurants. Conventional franchisees contribute to the company's revenue, primarily through the payment of rent and royalties based upon a percent of sales with specified minimum rent payments, along with initial fees paid upon the opening of a new restaurant or grant of a new franchise. This structure enables McDonald's to generate significant levels of cash flow. And in the end, it's really all about the cash flow. The company and its franchisees purchase food, packaging, equipment, and other goods from numerous independent suppliers. One thing I love about McDonald's is that it's not seasonal. People go to McDonald's year-round in all economic conditions. Okay, let's review who the significant institutional holders of McDonald's stock are. The top institutional shareholder of McDonald's is once again the Vanguard Group, holding 67 million shares worth $13 billion, so you can see where the smart money is investing. We then see that BlackRock and State Street are the next two largest holders. The largest insider is John Rogers, a director, with about 88,500 shares. That means his shares drip around $440,000 a year. And then we see my 399.9 shares. That reminds me of another thing I love about dividend investing, which are the constant dopamine hits as you hit new fun milestones. In this case, I'll be excited to cross another hundredths threshold as I pass from 399 shares to over 400 in a few weeks when my drip buys more of itself. Keep on compounding, baby. McDonald's 2018 10K estimated that their number of shareholders was an astounding 2.15 million people around the world. And I'm one of those proud 2.15 million owners. Are you? Okay, let's look at their key competitors. Here are the various competitors, including their annual revenues. Number one is Starbucks at 26 billion in revenue, a company I already released a video on, so watch that if you'd like to learn about them. Number two is McDonald's at 23 billion. Number three is Subway at about 10 billion, but it's a private company, so I don't know their numbers exactly. Number four is Yum Brands at 5.7 billion in revenue, a company which owns Kentucky Fried Chicken, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. Number five is Restaurant Brands International at 5.4 billion, a Canadian fast food holding company which owns Burger King, Tim Hortons restaurants in Canada, and Popeyes. Number six is Domino's Pizza at 3.4 billion. Number seven is Wendy's at 1.6 billion. Number eight is Dunkin' Donuts at 1.3 billion, which I covered in my Starbucks video. And number nine is Shake Shack at 360 million. Since I've already covered Starbucks and Subway is private, I'll use their next largest public competitor in this deep analysis, which is Yum Brands. Yum Brands is a holding company which owns Kentucky Fried Chicken, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and Wingside. They're in 135 nations and territories worldwide, and they operate almost 44,000 restaurants, including about 3,000 that are company-owned and about 41,000 that are franchised. Okay, let's review the industry. McDonald's is in the consumer discretionary sector and in the hotels, restaurants, and leisures industry. They make money through their food and franchisees. The franchisees lease properties that are owned by McDonald's. The advantage of this model is that the rent income and royalty income received from franchisees is stable and predictable. Because McDonald's has control over the land and long-term leases, they can leverage their market position to negotiate better deals. It is fairly difficult to meet the requirements of becoming a McDonald's franchisee. For example, you need to have a minimum of $500,000 of non-borrowed personal assets to even be considered. Typically, the equipment and pre-opening costs range from $1 million to $2 million. 
And then as a franchisee, you are responsible for paying salaries, ordering supplies, and paying for rent. Before you can open a McDonald's franchise, you must complete a training course run by McDonald's Hamburger University. Trainees must complete a range of learning objectives before they can qualify to own a franchise. Depending on previous experience, the complete training program can take between 9 and 24 months. But the reason you want to become a franchisee is because it is a stable and predictable cash maker with crazy 40 plus percent margins. How do they get these awesome margins? It's because they have such an optimized set of systems and their fruit is fairly inexpensive to acquire, make, and sell. Okay, let's look at where McDonald's and Yum are on the Fortune 500. McDonald's is ranked at 149 and Yum is ranked at 131. Neither are big enough to crack the Fortune Global 500. Let's check Fortune's brand rankings. McDonald's has an incredibly powerful brand, being number 10 in the world, just behind Disney and Toyota, and ahead of AT&T, Louis Vuitton, Intel, and Nike. Yum didn't make the brand list. Okay, now let's jump into a brief history of McDonald's. So I personally see McDonald's history in two parts. First part, number one. McDonald's started with two brothers, Richard and Maurice, who were born in 1909 to a poor family in New Hampshire. When they graduated from high school, they moved to California with a goal to make $1 million before they turned 50. If you count for inflation, that's like saying they wanted to make $15 million before turning 50. They did a few odd jobs trying to break into the movie business, but that failed. But they saw that a local hot dog stand seemed to be the only business in town that was booming. So they started their own hot dog stand in a different part of town. It did well, so they decided to go bigger and open a restaurant, but they needed more money. So they went to various lenders at banks to raise capital, but all the banks declined them until Bank of America approved them for a $5,000 loan in 1940. They opened a drive-in barbecue restaurant in San Bernardino and quickly learned a lot of lessons about the restaurant business. One of their lessons they learned was that their bar hop waitresses would waste a lot of time flirting with customers to get better tips. So they decided to create a self-service counter to eliminate the need for waiters or waitresses and to get customers their food faster. This was a winning formula and so the demand at their restaurant went way up to the point that they realized they needed to improve their processes to keep up with demand. That's when they figured out that they could use the slack time between lunch and dinner and other eating rush hours to pre-assemble food. They also realized that if they cooked their food ahead of time and kept them warmed under heat lamps, then customers could get their food faster. So soon they were offering food way faster than their competition and had so many customers they could sell their food for cheaper. They had 15 cent hamburgers, 20 cent milkshakes, and 10 cent french fries, all of which were about one half the price of their competitors. Their lines got longer and longer. They continued to streamline things, such as their menus, so that they could keep delivering faster. In addition to a revolutionized speedy kitchen, they decided they wanted a symbol or brand that their customers could recognize, and that's when they came up with the Golden Arches. They started franchising their system, and by 1954 they had sold 21 franchises and opened 9 outlets. And this is when part two of the history of McDonald's starts with Ray Kroc. He was a milkshake machine salesman who was struggling to sell many units other than to the McDonald's who kept needing more. He traveled to San Bernardino to see why they needed so many. And when he saw how they had optimized their whole operations, he asked if he could have a job as a franchise agent. Ray believed so strongly in the business model that he eventually offered to buy the entire McDonald's business from them for $2.7 million, which they accepted. Ray Kroc was a master of systematized processes. He wanted to build a restaurant system that would be famous for providing fast food consistently at high quality, where everything tasted the same no matter if you bought them in one state or another. So he worked with franchisers and suppliers to buy into this vision. He created the slogan, in business for yourself, but not by yourself. 
he saw things as a three-legged stool. One leg was the franchisees, one were the suppliers, and the final were the employees. The stool was only as strong as the three legs. His mantra was quality, service, cleanliness, and value, and once said that if he had a brick for each time he repeated that mantra, he would be able to bridge the Atlantic Ocean with them. Ray believed in growth, and by the end of the decade there were over 1,000 McDonald's. He IPO'd the company in 1965. Roy became very successful at age 52. So what can you learn from all this? Never stop searching for your dreams, as it's never too early or too late to start. He was once asked how he became an overnight success at age 52, and he responded, I was an overnight success alright, but 30 years is a long, long night. In 1963, he introduced a new face of McDonald's with a clown named Ronald McDonald. The chain grew domestically and internationally, reaching 10,000 restaurants in 1988. They grew so fast that they were opening a new McDonald's every five hours in the 90s. So the way I see it, the brothers Richard and Maurice were the pioneers of McDonald's and helped found the entire fast food industry. And Mr. Kroc was the entrepreneur who took what they started and then evolved and made it scalable, founding what today is known as the McDonald's Corporation. Okay, let's look at some of their current business strategies. In 2017, management introduced a set of strategies called the Velocity Growth Plan, which focuses on the key drivers of their business, which is food, value, and customer experience. This customer-centric strategy is designed to drive sustainable guest count growth, which is a reliable long-term measure of the company's strength and is vital to growing sales and shareholder value. The key pillars of their growth strategy are to number one, retain, retaining the customers they have, fortifying and extending their areas of strength with focuses on breakfast and family occasions. Number two, regain, which is regaining the customers they had lost by improving the taste and quality of the food, enhancing convenience and offering strong value. And number three, convert, which is converting casual customers to more committed customers with coffee and snacks. They also identified three accelerators intended to drive growth on top of everything they are doing. Number one is digital. They are looking to reshape their interactions with the customer, whether they eat in, take out, drive through, or order delivery. So this makes me think of how Domino's went multi-channel for ordering, to make it as easy as possible to get what you want, when you want, where you want. So they rolled out innovations like an improved mobile app, self-order kiosks, table service, and curbside pickups. Number two is delivery. They are bringing the McDonald's experience to more customers in their homes, their dorm rooms, their workplaces, and beyond. Number three is Experience of the Future, aka EOTF, which is about them modernizing their restaurants to improve the customer experience and enhance the customer's perception of their brand. I imagine drone delivery will be an innovation they will adopt at some point as it crosses digital, delivery, and EOTF. Imagine you just press a button on your phone and a couple minutes later you have a message that your hot cheeseburger and milkshake are hovering at your doorstep. Finally, a last key strategy they have is on changing the percentage of restaurants they operate versus that they franchise. According to a document I read, McDonald's keeps over 80% of the revenue generated by franchisees as opposed to only about 15% of the revenue from the restaurants it runs. So another key strategy they have adopted is to operate less restaurants themselves and instead let a higher percentage be run by franchisees. Doing this will impact their top line, but their bottom line should be better. So let's check for that as we review their revenues and net income. Okay, let's jump into their financials. Now there are four key financial areas I like to understand when I'm analyzing a business. And they are number one, is the company growing? Number two, can the company cover what it owes in the next year? Number three, do they have too much debt? And number four, how is their profitability? Let's start with number one. There are six main things I like to review when answering the question, is a company growing? And they are number one, is revenue growing? Number two, are earnings growing? 
Number three is equity growing. Number four is the all-important cash flow growing. Number five is the dividend growing. And number six is the stock price growing. So let's start with number one of six, is revenue growing? So here we see two charts that on the surface don't look good, but show a trend increasing and then decreasing. McDonald's had about 21 billion revenue in 2018, but that was lower than their 2017 numbers. But their 2020 estimate is higher than their 2018 numbers. Yum! shows something similar. Their 2018 number at 5.7 billion, which is smaller than their 2017 number. However, their 2020 number goes up to 5.8 billion, slightly higher than their 2018 numbers. So what's going on here with McDonald's? Like I previously stated, it looks like management's strategic shift is to use more franchise restaurants, and that is why revenue is decreasing. But as long as their earnings keep growing, then I'm not too worried. Let's see if that's the case after we understand their revenues by segment. So revenues outside the U.S. segment are where the majority of their revenues come from. McDonald's is yet another way I'm getting substantial international exposure without directly buying international stocks. And with their various initiatives focused on growth, such as their premium burgers, the all-day breakfast, high-end coffees and desserts, more ordering and delivery options, plus with menu prices moving up, I think we'll see revenue increase nicely. Let's see if net income is trending up even though revenue was trending mostly down. So on to number two of six, are earnings growing? As we hoped, we see earnings are trending nicely. So this is why the revenue decline isn't disconcerting to me. They are seemingly going after more profitable growth. Great move. I like McDonald's income trend here, even with the slight dip in 2015. Their TTM, which is trailing 12 months net income ending September 30th of 2019, was about 5.9 billion, a 12.7% increase year over year. Yum's has been trending down since last year and overall has a volatile trend, especially relative to the nice increases they had from 06 to about 2012. Their TTM net income ending September 30th of 2019 was $1.1 billion, a 30.7% decline year over year. McDonald's has also been reducing expenses in strategic ways, such as their advertising expenses over the last few years. They've enjoyed 17 consecutive quarters of global comp sales growth, which was complemented by gains in global guest counts. So their velocity growth plan is paying off. Okay, on to number three of six, is equity growing? McDonald's shareholder equity for 2018 was minus 8.6 billion. Yum is at minus 8.1 billion. A key factor of McDonald's negative equity is the fact that they've been buying back billions of dollars of stock. This shows their treasury stock purchases over the last six years. Of course, management could decide to do things like pay off debt rather than take on more debt, in which case equity probably wouldn't be so negative, but probably their debt has a low interest rate, or they feel their stock is undervalued enough that buybacks made more sense. I get nervous when share count is reduced beyond free cash flow. Many large companies are borrowing and are reducing shares. Obviously that trend can't last forever, either due to the economy or political changes. I would rather they played more of a long-term game and did slower share buybacks, and not take on more debt, and let EPS grow slower. But that's probably why I'm not leading McDonald's. I'd play it too safe. Okay, let's move on. So number four of six, is cash flow growing? To answer the question, is a company growing? Please watch my Southern Company video if you want to learn more about cash flow. And remember, cash flow is one of the most important metrics for you to understand. I pulled this data from Morningstar. We see that from 2017 until now, McDonald's free cash flow has been increasing and the trailing 12 months are at 5.21 billion. For young brands, we see a nice trend line of increasing free cash flow from 2017 until now, ending at a trailing 12 months of slightly over 1 billion. So a free cash flow that I respect. Okay, let's move on to another super important one for us, 
is the dividend growing. McDonald's has an amazing 42-year history of consecutively growing their dividend, making them an aristocrat, and in eight years they should be a king. Yum Brands was doing pretty well until what looks like they did a dividend cut a few years ago. Let's look at Yum's dividend history. It looks like in 2016 they were at 51 cents per share per quarter, and in 2017 they were at 30 cents per share per quarter. So that normally means either they did a stock split or they did a dividend cut or something else. If you look at Dividend.com for Yum, it will say they only have one consecutive year of dividend increases. So for analysis like this, if I can tell that I really don't like a company, then I wouldn't keep digging deeper into their dividend history. But for the sake of showing you how you could look deeper, let's do so. So I googled it and found an article that said in 2016 they did a 1391 for 1000 share split, meaning that for each 1000 shares of Yum owned pre-split, the shareholder now owned 1391 shares. Okay, so I said to myself, that explains the dividend change, and again normally I'd move on, but I decided to double check to see if the math worked out. So let's assume we had 1000 shares of Yum before the split, and that means it would be tripping 1000 shares times 51 cents per share per quarter, which would be $2,040 a year, it would be dripping. So let's model this after the split to see if the math adds up. So now you'd have 1,391 shares times 30 cents per share per quarter times four quarters, and that's only $1,669.20. So something still isn't adding up because the before and after amounts should have been the same. So let's dig deeper and then I find another article that said they split into two companies at the end of 2016, Yum and Yum China. So then I say, okay, let's see if Yum China has a dividend, and sure enough they do, it's for 10 cents per quarter per year. Anyways, I'll stop at this point because I've gone too deep into this rabbit hole, but I would keep digging if I was interested in investing with them. So for their dividend history, I'm just going to mark this as 15 question mark and move on, because frankly I'm not compelled enough to keep on digging, but you, you get the point. McDonald's pays $4.64 per share, which is increasing to $5 per share as of their December pay date, as compared to Yum that pays $1.68. That's a pretty honking big dividend from McDonald's. Five bucks per share per year? Awesome, I'm loving it. McDonald's three-year dividend cashier is an awesome 8.9% compared to Yum's, which is at minus 5.2%. McDonald's five-year dividend cashier that I calculated is a nice 7.45% compared to Yum's 2.57%. McDonald's 10-year dividend cashier is 8.9% compared to Yum's 8.5%. So McDonald's 10-year yield on costs is 4.9% versus Yum's 2.2%. McDonald's 20-year yield on costs is 13.2% versus Yum's 8.8%. McDonald's 30-year yield on cost is 31% versus Yum's 20%. McDonald's payout ratio is about 60% compared to Yum's 44%. So I really like what I see with McDonald's 10-year dividend cashier at 8.9%, which is a little above the 8% I normally like to see. And as always, don't use any of these numbers to make investing decisions, and double-check all info presented. Now let's see how their shares outstanding have trended over time. We see that McDonald's went from 1.28 billion shares to 0.76 billion, a 40% reduction in 13 years. Great. Yum went from about 600 million to 310 million, which is a reduction of 48% in 13 years. Excellent. I love both of their smooth and consistent trend lines. Let's look at some info from McDonald's 10K. This table shows their repurchases in 2018 at an average price of $176 a share. 
I love the fact that they're buying millions of shares every year, making my shares more powerful. However, they need to watch the repurchases relative to the debt they're taking on and relative to their free cash flow. One reason companies love doing repurchases is that they can suspend their buyback program with no real pushback from investors, whereas if they cut their dividend, they'll get slammed. The reason you should like buybacks as opposed to dividends is that if you aren't holding your dividends in a tax-sheltered account, then you must pay tax on your dividends as soon as you get them, whereas when stocks appreciate, you don't pay anything until you sell, and they generally appreciate as they do buybacks. So as a shareholder, I like to see both, as long as they are doing them in a financially responsible manner. I also see that the rate of share repurchases is gradually slowing down. Part of that is because their shares have gotten costlier. Part of it is probably because their debt has been increasing. In 2018, the company returned approximately $8.5 billion to shareholders through a combination of share repurchases and dividends paid. They have a targeted return of about $25 billion for the three-year period ending this year. Okay, let's compare their total returns to one another. So, number six of six is the stock price growing. Let's look at total returns of McDonald's compared to Yum and to the S&P 500 using Dividend Channel's Total Returns Drip Calculator. This models what would have happened if you invested 10K around 15 years ago into McDonald's, Yum, and the S&P 500. We see that with McDonald's, your investment would have grown to about 121K, which is a 1100% return, and close to it would have been Yum, which would have gotten you to 108K, or about a 976% return. And then SPY does terribly in comparison, getting you to 38K, which is only, in air quotes, a 276% return. What is really amazing is that McDonald's shares did okay during the 08 recession. So while they're not immune to bad environments, they did better than most. And that's the kind of defense I like to have in my portfolio when the next crash comes. Let's move on to number two, can the company cover what it owes in the next year, which is asking if it can cover its short-term debt obligations. I like to use the current ratio to determine that. It's important to compare ratios in the same industry. A ratio higher than one indicates that a company will have a high chance of being able to pay off its shorter term debt, whereas a ratio of less than one indicates that a company may not be able to pay off its shorter term debt. So the higher the ratio, the more liquid the company is. I like to see ratios between 1.5 and 3%. We see that McDonald's current ratio is 0.84 compared to a healthier industry median of 1.01, and it is ranked lower than 60% of the companies in the restaurants industry. We see that Yum's current ratio is 1.57 compared to the industry median of 1.01, and it is ranked higher than 73% of the companies in the restaurants industry. So I like more of what I see in Yum brands here, but I'm not concerned about McDonald's. Number three, the next main item I like to look at when analyzing business is if it is taken on too much debt using the debt to equity ratio. We see that McDonald's debt to equity is minus 5.2 compared to the industry median of 0.74, making it ranked higher than 96% of the companies in the restaurants industry. Yum Brands is at minus 1.3 compared to the same industry median of 0.74, making it ranked higher than 92% of the companies out there. Watch my previous videos to understand all about negative debt to equity. It's not surprising to have a negative debt to equity because we saw that McDonald's equity is negative due to reasons I already mentioned. Remember, debt to equity is total liabilities divided by total equity. If the ratio is greater than 1, the majority of assets are financed through debt. If it's smaller than 1, assets are primarily financed through equity. I like to see between 1 to 1.5. A high debt-to-equity ratio is often associated with more risks, as it often means a business is pushing for fast growth with debt. That being said, the appropriate debt-to-equity ratio varies depending on the industry because some industries use more debt financing than others, like capital-intensive industries often have higher ratios. McDonald's is carrying a large debt load, which I'd like to see them address. 
Okay, let's see if we think they can cover their interest payments. So let's see if EBIT's at a reasonable level. Looking at their latest EBITs on macro trends, we see that McDonald's EBIT is at 8.8 billion and Yum's is at 2.1 billion. I normally like to see EBIT greater than or equal to three times net interest, and I find that both of them cover. Okay, the number four item I like to look at when analyzing a business is to understand their profitability. Let's look at return on equity, or their earnings power. Normally I expect to see 10 to 15% to cover their cost of capital and make money for shareholders, but the more the better. ROE tells us how much profit a company makes for every dollar it has in shareholder equity. So when shareholder equity is negative due to things like large buybacks that are happening, then the normal rules for ROE are flipped. So we actually want to see big negative numbers as something that is positive because profits are high compared to the negative shareholder's equity amount. Here we see that McDonald's ROE is one of those large negative ROEs at minus 84%, so we flip the rules and determine it's fine. Yum is at minus 14%. So ROE is the income that is being generated as a percentage of shareholders' equity, also known as book value. Okay, let's look at another measure of profitability, return on assets. ROA will tell us how efficiently a company is squeezing profit from its assets. Return on assets is a measure of how well a company takes all of the money it has and uses that to make more money. It's a metric which is used to calculate management's effectiveness to understand how much profit a company earns for every dollar of its assets. ROAs over 5% are generally what I look for. The higher the ROA, the higher the asset efficiency. Here we see the McDonald's ROA is a great 13.7% versus the industry median 2.6%. They are ranked higher than 94% of the restaurants in their industry. We see that Yum's ROA is even more impressive at a crazy 24.6% versus the industry median 2.6%. They are ranked higher than 98% of the restaurants in their industry. So both of them are excellent. The next profitability metric we will look at is net margin. Net profit margins vary depending on the type of industry you're in. Watch my previous videos for more details. We see that McDonald's net margin is an insane 28% versus the industry median which is only around 2% and they are ranked higher than 97% of the companies in their industry. And Yum is also kicking it at a crazy 21% versus the same industry median 2% and they are ranked higher than 96% of the companies in the restaurant industry. Okay, let's look at one final profitability measure I like looking at, which is their earnings per share, or EPS. I've been trying to not kill you with too many metrics, but I figure now is a good time to also review EPS. EPS is a company's profit divided by the number of common shares outstanding. EPS shows how much money a company makes for each share of stock. A higher EPS often means that people will pay more for a company due to their higher profits. I've mentioned this before, but you can also calculate diluted EPS rather than basic EPS. And like I always caution, EPS can be somewhat manipulated or distorted, sometimes intentionally or unintentionally, which is why I don't make decisions by just looking at one metric. Here we see decent trends for both, with McDonald's looking a lot better. In 2005, McDonald's was at an EPS of $2.04 per share, and in 2018 they were almost quadruple that at $7.62 a share. Yum was at $1.29 in 2005 and about 3.5x that in 2018 at $4.69. But whereas analysts see a better 2020 year for McDonald's at an $8.30 EPS, they see Yum brands decreasing in 2020 down to $3.73 a share. Okay, let's move from their financials to their community involvement, charitable giving, and to their environmental, social, and governance work. In 2018, McDonald's launched its Scale for Good framework, which included the environmental-related pillars of climate action, packaging and recycling, and sustainable sourcing. This included goals and initiatives to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, 
responsibility source ingredients and packaging, and increase the availability of recycling in restaurants to reduce waste. McDonald's has also mapped their ESG initiatives against the UN Sustainability Development Goals and have identified those they believe they can focus their resources to help drive the greatest impact. So they're doing things like, number one, conserving forests. By 2020, in regions with identified risks relating to the conservation of forests, they will verify that the beef sourced from those regions comes from farms where primary forests and high conservation value lands are preserved. This is part of their global commitment on forests and includes regions outside of their top beef sourcing countries. Number two, 100% recycling. By 2025, their goal is to recycle guest packaging in 100% of McDonald's restaurants. They understand that recycling infrastructure, regulations, and consumer behaviors vary from city to city and country to country, but they plan to be part of the solution and help influence powerful change. Number three, responsible antibiotics use. So in collaboration with their suppliers, producers, and farmer partners, they will reduce the overall use of medically important antibiotics in their beef supply chain. So they are strong proponents of all these actions. Okay, now let's move on to their executive leadership team. The tenure across their global leadership team averages over 14 years, which is excellent. Chris Kamzinski is the new CEO of McDonald's. He previously served as president of McDonald's USA, where he was responsible for the business operations of approximately 14,000 McDonald's restaurants in the United States. He first joined McDonald's in 2015, overseeing global strategy, business development, and innovation. In that role, he served the business units and franchisees by identifying new ideas and best practices to accelerate their growth and grow the overall value of the system. Before joining McDonald's, Chris was Executive Vice President of Growth Initiatives and President of Kraft International. What's important to be aware of is that he's only been in the CEO job for a couple weeks as of November 2019. McDonald's former CEO, Steve Easterbrook, was removed from his CEO role because he violated company policy and demonstrated poor judgment involving a recent consensual relationship with an employee, per McDonald's. So I guess he was loving it a bit too much. McDonald's went through a bunch of changes under the previous CEO. It started selling all-day breakfast, it started serving burgers with fresh beef, it cut hundreds of millions in corporate overhead to speed up decision making. Eastbrook also brought in management from outside the industry, which shocked some people. Eastbrook also changed how their district managers work with franchisees. Now they focus more on analytics than on relationships, which has generated some tension apparently. Because the new CEO has only been on the job for a couple weeks, there's no value in looking how the stock has done in those couple weeks. So stay tuned to see how things go. Rumor is that he favors analytics in his decision making, which makes sense from a data perspective, as long as he has strong relationships with the franchisees. Okay, let's jump into concerns and risks. There's a variety of risks that I feel is important to be aware of. One potential risk is a relatively new megatrend that seems to be happening, which is that people are paying more attention to their health. Thus, McDonald's needs to continue to adapt with changing customer expectations in terms of nutrition to maintain and grow their customer base. We have seen new restaurant business models that offer freshly prepared, high-quality, healthy food as new challengers to McDonald's. These fast, casual restaurants include places like Chipotle and Shake Shack. So in late 2018, McDonald's announced it was removing all preservatives and fake colors and other artificial ingredients from multiple menu entrees. They're also exploring potential vegetarian options with using Beyond Meat. McDonald's isn't calling the sandwich vegetarian, as it'll be cooked on the same griddle as its burgers. Another risk they face is to currency fluctuations, since a significant portion of their revenue isn't in the U.S. Commodity prices are another risk to McDonald's. On a recent earnings call, they said that a 2% increase in commodity prices almost negated their menu price hikes of 3%. Supply chain interruptions, including shortages and transportation issues, all can impact them, though they try to hedge that by having many suppliers. Food safety concerns may have an adverse effect on their business. 
IT system failures or interruptions or breaches of network security may impact their operations. They are increasingly reliant on technological systems, such as point of sale and other systems and platforms. They also need to make sure their technical innovations are valued by their customers and are financially viable. Changes in tax laws and unanticipated tax liabilities could adversely affect the taxes they pay and their profitability. Increasing regulatory complexity may adversely affect restaurant operations and their financial results. The company has a pending number of lawsuits that have been filed in various jurisdictions that may present various risks. Of course, they face constant competition from other restaurants that are seeking to take market share. Another risk to watch for is how much share repurchases and dividend payouts are trending relative to free cash flow, along with the debt they're taking on. So big question, is it worth buying at today's price? Let's look at the results from the DCF calculator on GuruFocus to see what it estimates. We see that McDonald's fair value is about $82 at a stock price of $193, so this guesstimator says that the margin of safety is minus 135%, which means McDonald's is overpriced. It has Yum's fair value at about $39 relative to its stock price of $98, which gives it a margin of safety of minus 149%, so it says that Yum is also overpriced. Let's look at how their PEs have trended over time as another gauge on if it's pricey. Watch my previous videos to learn some nuance about PEs and what I expect to see in different sectors. My generic rule of thumb is I get more compelled to buy when PEs are under 15. McDonald's PE is a spendy 25.4 compared to the industry median 24.1. Its PE is ranked lower than 54% of the companies in the restaurants industry. Yum's PE is an even spendier 27.1 compared to the industry median 22.8. So both of them are too pricey. McDonald's forward PE looks a bit better at 22.8, but I'd still like it lower. Watch my AbbVie video if you want to learn more about the S&P 500 PE ratios. Okay, another final trend that you might want to look at is how their dividend yield has trended over time as an input into your buying decisions. Here are the last 10 years of dividend data yield trends for McDonald's and Yum. McDonald's dividend yield is 2.59%, a bit low. Yum's is even lower at 1.72%. If you want to learn some nuance on how I'd read this chart, then watch my Kimberly Clark video. We see here that McDonald's yield has been decreasing since around 2015, so it's continually becoming a bit less of a relative value. We see more volatility with Yum, but very recently it has been trending better in terms of a value play. Okay, let's look at what analysts at MarketBeat said about McDonald's and Yum. We see that McDonald's consensus rating is a buy, and its consensus rating since a month ago was also a buy. Its price target today is $193.14, and its price target today is $223.50. McDonald's consensus price target six months ago is $202.15. Yum's consensus rating is a hold. Its consensus rating six months ago was a hold. Its price today is $97.62. Yum's price target today is $112.94 and its consensus price target six months ago was $97.09. That means that analysts think that McDonald's is underpriced today with a 16% short-term upside. Awesome. And that is about the same amount of upside that they see in the short-term for Yum as well. Now let's look at recent insider trading. We see a variety of transactions by their officers and directors, but nothing jumps out as disconcerting to me. Please watch my Southern Company video if you want to learn more about how to read a Form 4 dealing with insider trading. So what's a good price for McDonald's? When did I buy it? So as I've mentioned in previous videos, most of my stocks I bought in the 1990s and held most of them until I recently sold them, and then I got back into all of them again. I will tell you that crazy story in a future video. So I most recently bought back into a McDonald's in August of 2018 at $156. 
I took positions in both my tax-sheltered account and my brokerage account. Right now, McDonald's feels a bit pricey to me. I'd like to see things fall into the 150s again to really want to buy more. But that's just me. I've been known to sit on the sidelines waiting for prices to drop, which doesn't always happen. Anyways, for now I'm content to just grow my position naturally with my drip. That being said, dividends from consumer staple stocks like McDonald's look a lot more interesting with the lower interest rates the Fed keeps giving us, so maybe I'll get compelled to buy sooner. So what do you think? Are you a bull or a bear on McDonald's? Are you going to buy, sell, or hold? Now let's jump into my portfolio. Okay, here's a copy of my portfolio where I have removed stocks you haven't seen yet. So this lists 15 stocks of the 25 in my portfolio. So there's 10 more to go after this. Let's start with a pie. So here we see consumer discretionary is taking up about 24% now with McDonald's in there. Consumer staples household products is around 20%. Utilities around 11.4%. And then we have energy at 13%, industrials at 13.5%, healthcare at 10%, and financials at about 8%. And then, okay, so we see that I have 399.9 shares of McDonald's. It's gone up in the last year. Current PE is about 25, forward PE is about 24, DDM $79. And it's in the consumer discretionary bucket. We see that its annual dividend is going to be $5 here. And the pay date is December 16th. We see the dividend yield is about 2.61%. The three-year dividend compound growth rate is 6.8%. Five-year dividend compound growth rate is 5.8%. And the 10-year dividend compound growth rate is 8.9%. Manually, I calculate the five-year at 7.45. So now the portfolio's average weighted five-year dividend compound growth rate is 8.65%. And again, this is important to use so you can estimate future growth for the portfolio, as well as this number right here, which is the portfolio's initial starting yield, which is 3.29%. I have $76,741 of McDonald's that drips $2,000 a year. So the portfolio value is at $585,000 about, and the annual passive income is around $19,000. Payout ratio, about 58%. It's been raising their dividend for 44 years consecutively. We see the average weighted years of increasing dividends is 32.98 years. It's an aristocrat at a low beta of 0.47. So the portfolio's average weighted beta is 0.77. Nice market cap on 145 billion. So the average weighted market cap for the portfolio is 118 billion. Okay, now let's review my Caterpillar dividend I received since last week's Kimberly Clark video. I edited out my account number here. I hold Caterpillar in an IRA. So last week I received a dividend check for $206.77 from Caterpillar which pays quarterly. Since I've turned on my drip for Caterpillar, it bought another 1.5 shares of itself, taking me from 200.7 shares to 202.2 shares. So this dividend payout just increased my annual passive income by about $24.72 a year. And that's a conservative estimate of how much my passive income will increase each year because it's compounded quarterly and because they'll probably raise their dividend each year. Let's see how this looks in the spreadsheet. So I've blacked out some of the dividends I received from companies I haven't revealed yet. 
So the way you read this is, these are the dates I received the dividends in this column, these are the tickers, and these are the dividend amounts. So on November 15th, Colgate Palmolive got a dividend for $279.98, like we saw in my other video. AbbVie, $506.98, and this most recent one is Caterpillar at $206.77, and then I'll get a Starbucks one later on this month. So, so far for these stocks that I've revealed, I've got $993.73 of dividends. And then if we look at a copy of the Q4 stocks, this is one where I document each month and we see what stocks I've received and which ones I've blacked out. And so uh, the zeros are going to be coming in December. So in October, Kimberly-Clark, we got a dividend check for $553.84 and Leggett & Platt was $369.68. And then we see in November, we got a check from Colgate Palmolive and from AbbVie and Caterpillar, as I mentioned. And then December, these are the ones that uh, I anticipate will be coming. Remember, don't forget to comment down below and include your partner number, which is the number of my videos you have watched from start to end and commented on. With this video, I'm partner 21, because I've watched all my videos from start to end. And please hit that thumbs up button because that helps promote this video on YouTube and is a great way you can thank me for making this free content. Thanks a million. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I'm only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments. Don't use this information without double checking it and talking to someone a lot smarter than me after you completely understand it. So I'll see you in the next video, and remember to stay positive, patient, play for the long term, keep investing in great companies, budget reasonably, and win. I know you can do it. Just like I know you can hit the subscribe, like, and bell icons, share this video with others, and comment below.